For the benefit of those who were not here, we'll give you just a brief background and introduction. And then we'll concentrate on the message of chapter 2 before we share communion together today. The book of Nehemiah. writer of this book served in the Persian palace of Artaxerxes. He was the king's cupbearer. Both Israel and Judah had been taken captive by enemy nations as a chastening rod because they had drifted into idolatry and God wanted to restore them physically and spiritually. As they had been taken captive, the temple and the walls of Jerusalem had been destroyed. Decades had passed, and still the city lay in desolation and destruction. You need to know that there's a, a distance of a thousand miles between Jerusalem and Shushan, where Nehemiah was serving in the king's palace. Sometimes time and distance have a way of eroding values. And we have drawn a parallel answering three questions, and I think every time we open Bible for Bible study, we need to ask, what did this particular portion mean then? Because Scripture, untrue to, to its context, is a pretext. And Scripture is only the Word of God as long as it's taken in its setting. Who's doing the speaking? Who's being spoken to? And what's really being said? But if it's left there, it's just a history lesson. The second question always needs to be asked. What does it mean today? What does it mean to me personally? And any scripture that does not find personal application is simply just traveling over ancient history. So we've identified ourselves with the spiritual need of the rebuilding of walls that have been destroyed and broken down. Walls of doctrine, walls of decency, domestic walls that have been destroyed by the enemy, by the adversary, and lay in ruin, and we need to organize together and to mobilize every person to the work of rebuilding the walls. The Bible says that sin is a reproach. Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And in chapter 2, you'll notice that this was the motivation that Nehemiah presented to the people that he spoke to in the 17th verse. Come, let us build up the walls of Jerusalem, that we be no more reproach. And so we want to identify our spiritual need for revival and rebuilding. For our own fellowship, that God would enable us to become part of the reconstructing and reviving that is needed within this last hour. A brother of Nehemiah came bearing the news 
of the devastation of Jerusalem to him, and a miracle of God took place, I believe, in burdening and breaking his heart about the condition of that city. The Bible says that he wept and mourned, he fasted and prayed. And that was, I believe, the work of the Holy Spirit, just as his brother sharing basic information. God, by the power of the Spirit, broke something in his heart. I prayed for that last week, and I continue to pray for that in my own life and all of our lives, that the simple message of what we're sharing will become a part of the miracle-working grace of God to put a burden on our heart. Very little is accomplished until we feel the burden for it. That burden that reaches an intensity that will cause us to pray and intercede before the Lord. And I believe any revival, any rebuilding must begin in prayer. I don't think there's another starting point for anything significant for God than for God's people. He said, if my people called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Turn from their wickedness, then will I hear from heaven. We'll forgive their sins and will heal their, heal their lands. And as Nehemiah began to pray, and the balance of chapter 1 records the prayer for us, can be broken down simply into three categories. We shared with you that Nehemiah began to pray, first of all, out of a heart of contrition. It was broken. And he wept and mourned and fasted and prayed. Three times a phrase is repeated throughout chapter 1. Verse 5, I beseech thee, O Lord God of heaven. Then again in verse 8, remember, I beseech thee, the word that thou commandest thy servant. Verse 11, O Lord, I beseech thee. Three separate petitions or kinds of prayer that Nehemiah prayed out of a heart of contrition. First of all, in verse 5, he prays a prayer of confession. Lord, forgive us of our sins. There was national repentance for the whole nation of Israel and personal repentance on the part of Nehemiah. And then secondly, a prayer of confidence as he said, Lord, remember your word. You've promised that if we would sin, you would scatter us, which you did. But if we will repent and return to you, you would bless us and restore us and revive us. And so, Lord, I'm simply reminding you of your covenant promise. We shared with you last Sunday morning, if we find in God's word a promise, we find exactly what God wants to do. And so if we'll meet the condition, he will fulfill his covenant and perform his word. And lastly, he prayed a prayer of commitment. And he said, God, use me. Give me favor in the sight of this man, the king, for I am the king's cupbearer. And we spent a moment or two identifying the fact that although he was a slave, he held an honored position as a slave, living in luxury or surrounded by the luxury of the palace, he was used to handing, handling implements of gold and silver and precious metals. He was in, always involved in things surrounding the king and the king's presence. But he was ready to allow God to disturb his comfortable nest 
and to leave the luxury of that palace and go a thousand miles journey and give up the air-conditioned crush velour seats of the palace and feel the hot stinging sun of Jerusalem begin to develop some calluses and blisters in moving some stones take a, a master trial in one hand and a sword in the other hand and become a part of the construction crew to rebuild the walls that had been destroyed and he was praying God give me favor in the sight of this man the king Chapter 1 opens identifying the month as Chislu. That is the equivalent of latter November, December to us. And then chapter 2 begins that it's the month Nisan, which is around April. So at least four months have transpired between chapter 1 and chapter 2. And I think it's significant that the Holy Spirit would include that detail for us. And I believe implied there is that he continued to do what he started doing weeping and mourning and fasting and praying over that period of time that God would restore Jerusalem and his people. That there would be no more reproach. Chapter 2 opens that he went in to the king to perform his service as the cupbearer. And immediately the king noticed that he was sad. And it was a life-threatening experience for a servant to enter the king's presence with a sad countenance. And he realized this. And the Bible says he was sore afraid. Immediately the king of Persia identified and said to him, what's wrong with you? I, I know that it's not a physical problem. You seem healthy. It must be a matter of the heart. Now, the ego of a Persian king was such that they felt that the highest privilege on earth would be for a person to share their presence and to be found in their presence and in their palace. So it would be unthinkable for someone to enter that place or his presence and be anything but absolutely thrilled. And so it was seen as a capital offense for someone to insult him, to feel that this would not be the highest pleasure that he could possibly attain to be in the king's presence. Immediately the king recognized that he was sad and inquired what's the trouble and the Bible says here that he as he began to share the burden of his heart he prayed to the Lord so it means after you've prayed what should you do keep on praying and I think you can pray even while you speak I know I do while I'm preaching I'm praying oh God help this preacher and I know teenagers that pray when they get home late. They're talking to their mom and dad, but they're praying, Oh God, give me grace. So I think that's what Nehemiah was, was doing. He was sharing with, with Artaxerxes about the burden of his heart, but while he was praying with his lips, his spirit was interceding before God and saying, Lord, 
This is the opportunity we've been looking for. And he began to share with him the need of his life because, you see, he was just the king's cupbearer. The significance of that statement recorded for us there is that he had absolutely no rights whatsoever. He was chattel. He was a part of the furnishing. He really was as much a piece of property of the king as the cup that he handed to him. He was just part of the furniture of the palace. He was a slave. He had absolutely no rights. He was a, 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 a cupbearer, just a slave. Now, you need to identify the fact that what he's going to ask for is absolutely unheard of. He's going to say to him, would you release me from my service? I would like to do something other than serve you. My heart is to do something other than be your servant. And that could have been received from the king as a great insult. He could have responded, if you're not happy with your job here, we can find you one cleaning the royal stables, and there are other gentlemen standing in line. They would like to have your job, and he could have been ushered out of the king's presence immediately. He had no right. He was just the king's cupbearer. But God had broken his heart. God had burdened his heart about the conditions of Jerusalem. As he began to share, he asked, could I possibly return to Jerusalem and become part of the reconstruction of the walls that have been destroyed? Asking permission to do something other than serve the king. And he said, okay. Now you need to understand an ingredient also involved in this is that when you examine the record of this portion of scripture and you go back to Ezra chapter 4 and I encourage you to do that sometime in your devotional reading that it was this very king who had issued an order to halt all reconstruction of the temple and of the wall Ezra had preceded Nehemiah to Jerusalem and had felt the same burden God had placed upon him and organized the people to start reconstructing those broken down walls in the temple. But there were enough opposition that finally they wrote a letter back to the king of Persia and said, these are rebels. These people are rebuilding the walls and rebuilding the temple and they're going to produce an insurrection against you. And they're going to rebel against your authority. They will not pay your tribute. And if you're wise, you'll stop this construction project. And so it was Artaxerxes, this man that now Nehemiah is standing before, who sent a letter back and said in no uncertain terms, I want this building stopped. So there's no wonder why Nehemiah is so afraid. First he sat in the king's presence, and then he said, I'm not too thrilled with the job, I'd like to be doing something else.
And then he said, I'd like you to reverse your royal decision. But I'm sure he had weighed carefully, and even the suggestion of the rebuilding of that, those walls brought back to his memory the reason why he had stopped the building of the walls initially. These people are rebels. They plan to revolt. They plan to refuse to pay the taxes and the tribute. And so he's asking the king to reverse. Now, I'm not too sure about the etiquette of ancient times, but I do believe that not often did slave boys offer the king advice or ask him to reverse his decisions. But he was actually asking him, reverse your royal order to cease rebuilding and in fact now give the order to rebuild. And the king said, sure. Now let me identify with you a verse of scripture in Proverbs. It says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And that is an illustration of that particular verse. And as the streams are turned, so he turns the heart of the king whithersoever he will. If you ever had a question about the power of prayer and intercession, it ought to be melted away in the warmth of these verses of Scripture, as Nehemiah said, and I was just the king's cupbearer. What he was asking for were of tremendous, far-reaching consequences. But the heart of the king had been prepared by the power of the Holy Spirit. And perhaps there are some of you who have been listening to this series of messages and to our call to organize and to, to recruit every one of us somehow in active service for the kingdom of God. And you said, but pastor, you don't understand. My husband, my wife, my boss, my job, my jobs, my schedule, it's just impossible. I couldn't possibly teach. I, I couldn't possibly get involved in the choir. I couldn't possibly, you understand, I'm just the king's cupbearer. I don't have any rights. I just have responsibilities. I want you to know if God burdens your heart and breaks your heart about a need to rebuild the walls, he has the power in his hand to turn the heart of the king and give you the freedom to do what he has burdened your heart and broken your heart to do. And everybody said, Amen. He was just the king's cupbearer, but God wanted him to become, and in fact, later in chapter 5, this man appoints him governor of the city and of the project. Just a humble slave. But God can take a humble slave and make him a governor when he burdens his heart and breaks his heart about rebuilding and revival. Don't say, oh, I can't do it. I, I know my husband's not saved, my wife's not saved, I've got 20 kids. You know, I've just got too much responsibility. I've got two jobs, two mortgages, three cars. I, I know I can't get involved. Oh, yes, you can. 
if we begin to pray and intercede and fast and weep and mourn, God has the key to unlock the door. And everybody said, Amen. I want us to feel that. I want us to take it home with us. I want it to encourage us. I want it to challenge us to pray with faith, believing that the Lord is able to liberate us to do whatever it is He's calling us to do. Now, if you had been in the king's presence with a sad countenance and he excused that and you asked him for a leave of absence and he granted that, you asked him to reverse a royal decree and he did that, and you were Nehemiah, what would you do? I know what I'd do. I'd keep my mouth shut and I'd get out of there as fast as my legs could carry me. Thank you, God, for answering prayer. What a victory this is. Not Nehemiah. He said, oh, by the way, I'll need a letter from you authorizing me on the other side of the river. So not only did he receive permission, but he received passage. And you read the rest of the chapter, he gave him a military escort all the way to Jerusalem. He said, I know that those folks over there understood that you have issued an order to stop the building and rebuilding of that wall, and I would like to have official authorization. That says to me he did some planning. And after you've prayed, I think God will give you a plan. He knew exactly. He said, how long you be gone? He said, I, I can tell you. He had it figured out how long it would take him to get there, get the job done, and get back. There had been some prayerful meditation. God had provided him with a plan. And I believe when we begin to agonize, God will get us organized. We'll never accomplish the rebuilding of the wall unless we are laborers together, unless we can say, let us arise and build. It's impossible for one or two pastors to minister to everybody in this fellowship. We want to train you to do the work of the ministry. And I think God is raising up a thousand ministers right here in this church that have the capacity to minister one to another and to minister to this community. And we'll be sharing more of that burden with you from week to week. Don't say, oh, I don't think I can do it. By God's grace, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I think it'll start with prayer. And as we pray, God will give us a plan and we'll get to the perspiration next Sunday morning because that's where it all happens, just simply putting it to work. After he had received safe passage, that still wasn't sufficient because God, I believe, had given him the plan. He said, oh, moreover, I probably would have been satisfied, not Nehemiah. Moreover, he said, I'd like a letter to Asa. He's in charge of the royal forest. You've got some royal trees that I'd like you to royally donate to the project. That's boldness. I tell you what, after four months of prayer, God puts a boldness inside of us. And he said, I'd like you to finance the project. God moved the heart of a heathen king to finance the building program. That's a miracle. It didn't happen just by accident. 
This whole chapter is a testimony of what God can do if His people will pray and weep and mourn and fast. He can turn the heart of the king so much so that he financed the project. Gave him a letter to cut down the royal trees to rebuild the gates, to rebuild the cities. God's good. We need to be bold for the Lord. And he returned to Jerusalem. At midnight, he surveyed the problem. And you'll note some opposition. Earlier in the chapter, it identifies two names. Later, it identifies three names. Even in the planning stages, there was opposition. Count on it. There will be an opposer. There will be opposition. Every opportunity is filled with opposition. A great and effectual door is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Count on it. Even in the planning, praying stages, there will be opposition. But the Lord is greater than any opposer. Greater is he that is within us than he that is within the world. Nehemiah began to share with them what God had spoken to his heart. Verse 17. Then I said to them, Ye see the distress that we are in, how Jerusalem lieth waste, the gates thereof are burned with fire. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no more be a reproach. Then I told them of the hand of my God, which was good upon me, and the king's words, which he had spoken to me. And they said, Let us rise up and build. So they strengthened their hands for this good work. We'll skip verse 19. We'll talk about the opposition at some later date. Verse 20 I love. Then answered I them and said to them, The God of heaven, he will prosper us. Therefore we his servants will arise and build. Two Sundays ago we talked about the, the God of heaven and how big this galaxy is that we're a part of. Just the short way across at the speed of light would take you 20,000 years. The long way would take you a hundred thousand years at the speed of light. And that's one of a billion galaxies in the universe. And let me say it again, it's the God of heaven who will help us. Pray big prayers, large petitions with you bring. We're coming to the King. Hallelujah. Don't insult him with small requests. Ask largely that your joy may be full. Hallelujah. The God of heaven, he will prosper us. And he will give us success. Church, there are walls that need to be rebuilt. Walls of respect for life. Abortion is still a problem in our country. 
We need to rebuild the walls of devastation that take place every day. Domestically and divorce rampant, destroying, devastating decency. Men's Prayer Breakfast yesterday morning, George Otten had a little magazine in his hand that's published for eight, nine, and ten-year-olds. It's dedicated to homosexuality. Published for that age group. Sassy is the title. He saw it on a, a shelf, went to the manager and said, I don't appreciate having this in, in your store. He said, I had no idea what the contents were. I'm telling you, there's like an open sewer that runs through our nation. We have some walls that need rebuilt. We have some reconstructing to do. It's going to mean some perspiration and some blisters and some work, but I believe God is calling us to do it. I believe the Lord wants us to begin with prayer. As we pray, God will give us a plan. Now I tell you what, the heart of the King is in the Lord's hand. Oh, I don't know if I can do it, Pat. Oh, yes, you can. God has the keys to open the door for every room He wants you to enter, to every area of service that He has planned for you to fill. I believe that if we'll pray, God will work. Father, we thank You for time together this morning to receive from You the challenge of Scripture. We thank you for this man that we can study. A man like us. A slave man. He was just property of the king. He couldn't have gone to Jerusalem by his own choice if he wanted to. He was bound by the will of his master to a particular service. But Lord, you, in answer to prayer, gave him the freedom to return and rebuild. And some who are sitting here feel the same restriction. They would say, Pastor, I have no will of my own. I, I can't move freely. I don't have transportation. I don't have time. I've got so many things now. I don't see how that's possible. But the God of Nehemiah is in this room. And he can open the door of ministry and service in a significant fashion for any one of us. I believe that. A place where we can make an impact upon this community, this country, the world in which we're living. I pray for the challenge of the Spirit to remain upon us, burden our hearts, until when we pray, we shed some tears. Lord, I pray that it would burden our heart to the point of intercession and involvement. 
bless this communion table, Lord, because it is the highest illustration of this message. For Jesus got involved with us. The God of the universe, the creator of the heavens, took upon himself the form of a servant. Yielded himself to death, even the death of the cross, to pay for our salvation. And Lord, we follow your example this morning as we share these emblems. In Jesus' name.